Hello and welcome to a post-election edition of Editing Aloud. And uh, as we sit here this afternoon on Thursday, nobody knows really what's going on, although um, uh, our panel, I'm sure, will agree with me that roughly what is going to happen has already kind of happened. The ANC, uh, I think we're sitting at about 50, almost 50% of the vote, 45% of the vote being counted, Luke. Um, ANC is sitting on 56.63, which is a sharp fall, as we know. The DAA is on 23.4, which would be a remarkable uh, increase for the party that was just uh, speculated that it might uh, fall back a little bit. The EFF um, far away on 9.32% uh, from doubling its vote, which it might have wanted to do in order to be able to form part of any national government. Um, what do we think of the election, people? I mean, it's, 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 we, we look like... We did before. I mean, it looks like roughly the same kind of country. Not necessarily. Go on. Uh, you, you've, got, you've got parties like the Congress of the People uh, that will definitely struggle to get one seat back right. uh, into the National Assembly. You've got the United Democratic Movement of Bandu Olomisa that probably will not get more than two seats uh, in Parliament. And, of course, the Inkata Freedom Party is also... Uh, is, is holding uh, roughly what it got the, the, the yes. last uh, the previous time, 2.4% yeah. uh, in 2014. Yeah. It's now 2.2. So they, they, they roughly have the, the, the same people. But you will have uh, uh, three big parties, uh, plus the Freedom uh, Front, yeah. plus joining them. Yeah. So that's the uh, Freedom Front, plus EFF, DA, and the ANC, uh, with, with, with about... Uh, but it falls, of it falls off pretty quickly, Karen Moore, doesn't it? Moore, it, it you, you get you get ANC, DA, EFF, EFF 9.32, let's say it gets to 10. At the moment, the Freedom Front Plus is on 2.87, which is a remarkable uh, performance. Um, anyway, the 191,000 uh, votes. What are we talking about? About 35,000 votes per MP, I think, roughly, is what you need, 35,000, yep. 40,000. But you get down to the IFP and these, you know, and and Freedom Front Plus, and they're in, you know, two point eight, two point one four. It's not. Um, these are not. These are not big numbers. So we we're still left with the three main parties, Karen. I mean, how much does that change our? I think what's policy? interesting is what's happening on the provincial level, yeah. because I think that we've seen voting patterns that clearly demonstrate that people may be voting ANC nationally as so part of a the kind of support of the current president, yeah. but they provincially are voting for other parties. So if you look at what the IFP is doing in KZN, it at one stage had jumped 10% up from its previous wow. um, stats in KwaZulu-Natal. Yeah. And there is a likelihood that it may be able to contest with the DA to become the official opposition, opposition. in KwaZulu-Natal. Yeah. Remember, of course, that the Nkandla municipality is itself run by the IFP, um, and they've made quite a concerted effort to gain inroads into um, KZN. Of course, interestingly enough, KZN, one of the kind of hotbed provinces that have been identified as having some of the biggest kind of procedural irregularities so far, yeah. um, and being quite vocal about their concerns about that. Yeah. The, 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 the um, irregularities, Luke, are... Uh, um, are, are worrying, but they're not, the, they're not of the scale, surely, that would destabilize this election. No, definitely not. But I mean, I, I think I also saw the headlines today saying that the DA might 
challenge, but I mean, yeah. it sounds a bit ridiculous if you're like in 2021. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, obviously, if you like say the elections you had in Ghana a few years back, where what yeah. it was 51 49, and the president actually lost and, and, and stood, stood down. I mean, that kind of like, yeah. you know, sort of like neck and neck situation yeah. you can see, like, but I mean, yeah. you, you could rerun the whole thing if you're going to move from 21 to 22. But, mm. And, you know, whatever the Freedom Front Plus has done um, uh, to increase its vote, we're not sure, but I'm presumably that it's taking votes away from the DA in some way, but it's not necessarily showing in the DA's performance yet. Mm. It's quite a long way uh, to go. Um, what, what we need on that score, Peter, what you, first thing we must acknowledge and remind the viewers out there is that we are still halfway through yeah. the mark as we recorded yeah. this show. Yeah. Sure. Secondly, uh, the Democratic Alliance has got at this point 1.6 million votes. In 2014, the Democratic Alliance had 40, 4 million votes. Right. So, so, so uh, if, you, if, you, if you multiply this by two to get 100%, they may end up with about 3.2 million votes, 800,000 which, which really short. Is a, which is a big yes. blow to them, yeah. And, and the, the, the Freedom Front Plus obviously took people away. You, you can talk here about identity politics yeah. for the first time where the Democratic Alliance has got a black uh, leader uh, yeah. uh, who is, is slightly confused. The party itself does not know exactly what it wants. Then the Freedom Front goes for it and says, fight back. And, yeah. and, and well, it's the same, it's well, the same it's slogan the, that yeah. Leon used in, yeah. in 2004. But isn't it interesting, well, 1999, isn't it interesting that, I mean, what he did with fight back then was to draw former National Party members into the party. Yeah, exactly. We are presumably now moving off because they've got a black leader or doesn't quite fit what they wanted to. They, they certainly have a black leader and they have a party that is confused about its stance on black economic empowerment yeah. and transformation. And uh, remember, if the DA were to uh, just go wholeheartedly and say, we will use race as, as a proxy yeah. and make sure that previously disadvantaged people, yeah. it is these elderly, conservative, old white voters, mm. former National Party people that uh, retreated into the DA, that will lose out. Yeah. And they are now trying to find a new champion in, yeah. in, in Connie Mulder. Interestingly enough, what, what was fascinating for me was speaking to one of the um, members of the Freedom Front Plus, who was very involved in the election campaign, was obviously there's a huge amount, you know, their, their voter base is seen as being largely Afrikaans, yeah. and many of them are farmers. Um, and this issue of expropriation without compensation, yeah. the kind of politics of fear that might be playing around that issue and driving votes in a particular direction. Yeah. But his issue, and I think Sukunati points it out very succinctly, was that they feel that voters go to them more because of the issue of BEE that their voter base feels that BE is not working oh, really? and that they believe everyone should be equal and there should be this meritocratic environment, which is very antithetical to the, the DA's obviously sometimes very confused messaging. Yeah. And when yeah. you have a party where very senior people are openly disagreeing with each other on Twitter about what exactly their BE policy is, yeah. it certainly doesn't bode well for voters to know what exactly their stance is and where they should be going with it. Yeah. Add to that Helen Ziller's admiration of colonialism and uh, things like that. Then you have a, a nice cocktail. Together with the parties, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the DA has definitely failed to cross and say, we will champion the black cause. We definitely stand for transformation. We stand for service delivery. We stand for clean government. They have failed to do that. Mm -hmm. And then 
have been and saying... And that's because of its own internal arguments. Its right? own internal arguments. And <coughs> I've been saying this on this show for quite a while yeah. uh, yet. Uh, the way they treated uh, Patricia Delil in, 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 in the Western Cape and yeah. before her, the way they treated um, Balintuli, the way they treated Lindwema Zubuka does not inspire confidence in the black voters and say that is a, that is a party for black people. Who it is the, not. Who was the party president who, the, um, uh, for the life of me, I can't even remember his name, also long gone now, he was, a, he was an African man. Um, which party? The Democratic Party? No, he was chairman of the DA. Uh, ten years ago, you see, that's how the, the, yeah. that, that's that's how yes, important yes. Uh, they, they want those but kinds of leaders. By the way, we see uh, Patricia is actually Patricia has got forty thousand votes. She's got a seat in Parliament. You mm. probably are talking about Joe Sirumane. I remember. I'm talking about yes. Joe Sirumane. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. You, you have here what the DA has done. It has dumped its traditional white conservative support base, yeah. but failed to convince failed the to, black yeah. people that come yeah. here, yeah. We, we are your champions. Yeah. I'm not sure whether it's actually dumped it as such. I mean, you guys spend more time on Twitter than me, but I think I remember seeing somebody saying they were about the DA. I think it was something along the lines of nobody knows what they stand for or who is in charge. So like you talk about this new black leader. <laughs> Like, is he really the one in charge for on, 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 the, on this issue? Exactly. That's Who stands for nothing? It's some like, <laughs> criticism in some respects that's yeah. directed at the ANC because, sure. because of the kind of factionalism that exists yeah. within the ANC. And what's so f fascinating is that because of these two main parties, um, obviously the ANC a lot bigger than the DA, a lack of kind of coherent policy um, on certain key issues, the ANC's you know, nationalization, not nationalization views on land, for example. You see kind of radical elements emerging in like with the EFF and the, uh, the BLF. Those, those kind of organizations are made possible. Correct. And with the DA, the you BLF see this. The BLF has got 5,375 <laughs> 5, people. Now. That's wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> they're still adamant they're going to get a seat in Parliament, Who? guys. Well, BLF. It's not going to happen for the BLF. It's not going to happen also for the uh, South African Capitalist Party. The purple um, cow. Um, it's not going to happen for Erwin Jim's party either, I don't <sighs> think, by the looks of it. The PAC, sadly, sadly not. Um, uh, we haven't, in a way, become a little slightly more fragmented, but you, with that, with, we don't, we're not getting the benefits of that kind of fragmentation because they're just not getting over the threshold that they need. Mm, not at all. I mean, you've got 48 parties on the national uh, ballot. Some with as little as 500. Yeah. Uh, I think there's someone with 124 votes. That's their immediate family and, and 20 neighbors. What needs uh, to, to happen in, uh, for, for this parliament, for every vote to really count, is the Israeli example. Uh, there's a cut off. Uh, if you don't make 3%, you don't get a seat in parliament. Uh, those votes get get distributed to to the to the smaller parties. Yeah. That's what should happen here because these small parties have have now co have lost about ten seats in total, yeah. uh, together with spoiled ballots, which is about two seats. Mm -hmm. So you've got seats that have re votes that have really been wasted and are not going to parliament. Are not going anywhere. How they should be briefly before we before we take a break, Lacanya. How will the EFF re respond to? It's relatively, um, I'm not going to say weak shame, because it's improved uh, percentage-wise, bigger more than any of the other parties. But it's nowhere near where I think it wanted to be. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, I think the last surveys we were saying, they were saying doubling, even more than doubling, up yeah. to 14%. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe like, you know, maybe the rhetoric doesn't really work so much without yeah. a proper policy behind it. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe, I don't know if that's a lesson they will draw from it, but I mean, they, they yes. <laughs> but, but a lot will still change. Remember, the, 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 the rural areas are, are, are report naturally sure. uh, they, 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 they are late and they but will get not, their they, support there. Rural areas are not the ENEF uh, hunting. Not necessarily. But Look, interestingly enough, they managed to secure a voting district in the deep rural Eastern Cape. Oh, really? Which, I mean, I think is very, very interesting because that's traditional ANC hunting mm. ground and they managed to very get it. So. Look, the, the EFF must now organize its elections on Twitter and on Facebook and insist Parliament changes the law. Then they can win. Yeah. Mm. That's very cruel of you. Parliament now has to ratify President Cyril Ramaphosa's decision to fire Norm Kobojiba and Lawrence Mkwebe, but Mkwebe is the important character here. Um, Parliament has to ratify that. It's a kind of political test for him, isn't it? Because any sort of any sign of rebellion within his own ranks against his decision would would show pretty quickly he's going to have he's going to have about 25 MPs fewer than he has now or had before the election. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, remember when Vusi Piccoli, when the decision to, to remove Vusi Piccoli was made, it was yeah. pretty much unanimous. Um, but there's a very different environment at the moment. And I think um, the non Jiba situation may well um, give an indication of just how divided or openly divided the yeah. ANC is prepared to be. Um, and, you know, if MPs decide to vote against her being removed, it's possible that that, that decision does it's get It's hard to see the DA putting their hands up for her survival though, isn't it? No, I don't see that happening at yeah. all. I mean, for instance, someone like Dennis Breitenbach, who is a DA MP, yeah. was one of the people who pivotally gave evidence yeah. against her in the uh, yeah. Mokoro inquiry. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I suppose a bigger question, is it really possible an ANC that just come into as one office now would challenge the poor president so early into his first term. Well, it, it simply uh, has to, ha the vote has, the, the, the ratification has to happen relatively yeah. early, I yeah. think. Yeah. We are expecting a legal challenge from her. Legal people yeah. have made that very evident. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, what complicates the situation is the Constitutional Court still needs to rule on whether it had a basis to allow an appeal by the general counsel yeah. of the bar yeah. against the Supreme Court of Appeals decision that right. while she yeah. while non Kobojiba so may on be on. incompetent, yeah. um, she was yeah. not and you know she was not dishonest and unfit. So that story, as the story of the NPA generally, yeah. I think is going to still unravel somewhat. And yeah. I think akin to what we saw with Tom Moyani, yeah. there may be a series of legal challenges that follow. As far as Parliament is concerned, it's a foregone conclusion that she's gone. Yeah. And, and it, it doesn't help her that the Jimmy Manis party, yeah. ATM, yeah. only is probably going to go in with just one seat. One or two, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not going to do much. No. Uh, I thought it won your village. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it won in, in the district in which I was born and live, uh, not oh, in my no. ward. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and that was in a by-election yeah. where less than 1,000 people voted. That's the ATM, If you combine the ANC and the EFF votes at the moment, they are short of a two-thirds majority to to change the constitution. Yeah, they, they'll be at 64% as, yeah. as things yeah. stand. But yeah. remember, again, the rural areas yeah. are now reporting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's where their so support that, base is coming and that'll, that'll, that'll be a That'll be a strong point, presumably, for the ANC. Right? For the ANC. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the CSIR is projecting 57% for yeah. the ANC. Yeah. Their statistics are quite reliable, yeah. and they've kind of been able to project very successfully. Yeah. So I think that 57% is probably a likely so outcome, and they're predicting something like close to 10% for the EFF, yeah. in so which it case it is a two-thirds. Yeah. So, so that would be a two-thirds. And yeah. in business day, we have made this point quite a bit that mm. now the most interesting part will be uh, the, the, the wording in the change of the constitution. Yes. Uh, EFF says we want all land nationalized. Yeah, the ANC says... We want specific cases. Yeah. We just want the right to do so. Yeah. So the compromise will have to be between the two of them. Yeah. And, of course, the DA has already said it will go to court to oppose any amendment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't see the DA actually, sorry, the, the EFF actually compromising on anything. Because yeah. for them it's also about grandstanding. It's about, you know, yeah. well, being, you know, working the ANC and pushing the ANC to a certain point. Yeah. So it's not so much about getting any legislation. It's about getting its like, version of the legislation. Yeah. And what's so fascinating is that within Gauteng, which I think is going to be a province to watch in terms of what happens with the vote, the EFF has continuously supported Herman Mashaba for the DA. Yeah. I mean, they've taken an absolute stance no, no, I, in I mean, support of him. Yeah. And, you know, they've said that, you know, even post the election, whatever happens, they still want him as, as mayor, yeah. which is, you know, there's, I find that fascinating because it seems so counterintuitive, but yet that is the firm stance that they've taken. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the FM cover, uh, Sikonati, uh, has got a really, really good story this week. Yes. Uh, you're calling it the Nene Short. And a, uh, two journalists, uh, Khadija Sharifa and Mark Anderson, from something called the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, have produced this fascinating account of how Regiment's Capital, Eric Wood, um, uh, began to do business with Transnet. Um, this would have been back in... Um, uh, 2014, I guess, um, 2015. And they found themselves in a position where they knew what was going to happen to Nflantla um, Nene, uh, that he was going to be fired in December 2015. And they did a bond transaction in which would net it, because, they, were a, because they, they understood what would happen to the market when Nene was fired, they were able to do a bond transaction which netted them many, many millions of rands and which cost the Transnet pension scheme whatever it was that they made. I mean, they, they robbed the Transnet pension scheme. Um, explain to us that, just how that would have worked. That, and Lukanya, you both understand, you probably more understand fixed interest um, securities more than I do, but I mean, what happened? So basically, regiments after Brian Mulife and Anoj Singh became chief executive yeah. and, and, and uh, finance, finance director, yeah. uh, regiments got the contract to manage the Transnet Pension Fund, which is a defined benefit fund, by the way, yeah. meaning the taxpayer stands behind. Uh, you get a proportion of your salary. Yes, yeah. you've got a, a well-defined, yeah. gu guaranteed mm. income. Even if they don't, even if the fund itself does not make money, uh, the, the taxpayer yeah. will always make yeah. good. They managed this fund, and when they knew that Tantanene uh, was going to be fired, and of course replaced by Des Van Royen, yeah. they, 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 they took a bet and said uh, the, the market will fall. Yeah. Uh, we, the, the, the value of this bond will really fall, yeah. so we will benefit by shorting the, the price thing. of the yeah. bond will fall. The price right? of yeah. the bond will, so yeah. we will fall. So they, 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 they bought the R186 bond, which is the, 
the, the, the, the benchmark yeah. government bond, yeah. a 10-year bond, I yeah. think, yeah. Uh, and, and said, uh, and, and Transnet Pension Fund was the counterparty. So they directly traded with their client, and the client didn't know and had no say in the matter. So the Transnet Pension Fund thought it was buying and getting a good deal by yes. buying all these bonds and from they were And they were the seller. Yeah. They were selling to Transnet. So yeah. every rand the Transnet Pension Fund lost, which according to our story now is 133 million rands. Yeah. Every rand they lost, uh, Transnet uh, pensioners, regiments, uh, regiments made in yeah. profit. Yeah. They shorted the thing. And, 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 and that's how uh, they didn't go directly, at least using this, this trade. Yeah. They didn't go directly into the currency market, but they used the bond as a proxy. Because if you do go there, then you yeah. will have to incur. Karen, when you read stories like this, this just seems so, so obviously criminal. Yes, absolutely. You I was why, about to I say. Mean, what is it about? Where is, where is the NPA today? I mean, is, is she still, Shamila Batoy, is she still struggling for resources? Um, for people who can prosecute this kind of thing successfully. Obviously, these people would have lots of money to hire expensive lawyers. Um, where, where does Batohi stand? Where does the NPA stand? Now, is it going to be able to come and take stories like this, take crimes like this, and prosecute them? Well, when she was interviewed for her position, she made it very clear that it was necessary for the NPA because of like resourcing issues to work with the private sector, to work okay. with law firms, to work with NGOs. I mean, I know, for instance, the Helen Sussman Foundation is assisting the, uh, the NPA with information about ESCOM, because, yeah. of course, they brought that massive constitutional course case with yeah. regards to the contracts. Um, there is a profound deficit of forensic ability within the NPA, and one can see that because we haven't seen very sophisticated uh, corruption or financial um, prosecutions happening. And this impacts on everything from yeah. the so-called state capture matters to Steinoff. It's across the board. Right. It has a, quite a devastating but there's a, impact. But there's a, there's a very deep capacity, Lucanio, in the private sector. I mean, so if she can, if we were able to, as a national you know, emergency or in a national effort to say to the private sector, listen, we need your help. Can you come and help us prosecute them? There's no end of skill and expertise in the private sector. I mean, you already are doing that, aren't you? I mean, I think that the story you were doing, working yeah. on about Trimgrove, and the, that's one of the Zuma cases where you actually was complaining that the state had too many, like, a senior exactly. counsel from the private sector. So, yeah. so it already is happening. But interesting thing with this story here, like, I mean, maybe we didn't touch on it, because it says here that these guys, they knew weeks in advance. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm just, I was just thinking back when I, used to, when I, when I used to cover economics on us, like in those days of Trevor Manuel, you'd ask him, how long are you going to stay for? Are you going to quit? Yeah. And he would say, like, no, I serve at the president's pleasure or whatever. Mm. Then in this case, then, the only one person we have known for sure that, or should have known for sure, <laughs> that Nene is going to go. Yeah. So there, it would be interesting to see who told whom when, yeah. and when did that person, who would have been the president at the time, because yeah. he's got total discretion, or it was a he at the time, discretion to actually decide. Well, he would have probably just told the designer, and mm -hmm. it would have been, you know, there was an easy co communication mm -hmm. channel there with the, with the, with the group to conspiracy. The other way around, Peter, remember, it is them that tell him who to hire. For sure. It's not him telling them what he's going to do. Yeah. Then it's the Guptas telling Zuma what to do. So they gave the instruction. In October, Mosilo Mutipo at, at Regiment's capital already knew because she had been told by Gavin Woods in October 2015 that that guy will be fired and we will make 9.5 billion rands in fees from ESCOM alone. Yeah. Musilu Mutipo went, uh, went on and told uh, Tulima Donzela, uh, gave that information. Yeah. It's, it's part of the, of the state the of capture report. Yeah. But uh, j just to close off, what regiments did here in, in relation to their client 
is exactly what the banks did. Remember uh, the, the subprime uh, crisis. Yeah. Where, uh, yeah, so exactly. the, the, the reform was no bank shall trade for its own account. Yeah. You only trade for clients. Mm. Uh, had regiments had not had that incentive uh, he, he, to, to trade uh, yeah. against the client, yeah. it would only have only made the fee yeah. on, on, on the pension. Yeah. But it actually set up its, uh, its own uh, client to fail. It's quite extraordinary. Um, talking about extraordinary too, um, Steinhoff is, is, has now apparently made another huge... Is this a new loss or is it just the old loss? I see this is the old loss. This is a confirmation, I suppose. You know, I suppose you can step one step back. Very you know, clever, by the way. They, they put their results out on election night. No, 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 I mean... On Tuesday night even, on midnight on Tuesday night before oh, really? the election. Okay. I mean, Frankfurt wasn't even open then. I suppose Frankfurt was going to be yeah. open the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's the excuse that they had to follow like German rules rather than South African rules. So, so the, 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 big, the big thing here, Karen just spoke now about a huge deficit in the NPA of a forensic, uh, uh, yes. of forensic skill. Yes. That's what's needed here. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, last week, uh, the Hawks already said in Parliament, oh, well, we are at advanced stages of appointing a forensic accountant uh, <laughs> investigator to probe Steinhoff. Yeah. How many years late? Seven years too I, late. I suspect that it will probably be the German authorities because they're investigating, I think, the tax implications of what happened. No, but mm -hmm. I mean, but this guy has to go to jail in this country. I mean, he can't go to jail in Germany. It'd be far too comfortable. The thing we is, need, we need the German be, jails be, are very comfortable. Yeah. I remember I went to Germany and interviewed Jürgen Haagsen, yeah. and he had the best time in no, jail no, no. ever. We need, we need the catharsis. <laughs> we, need, we need Marcus Huster. Innocent, proven guilty. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> we'll be back with you at the normal time next week. Bye bye.